This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Apocrypha, the legend of baby metal. Available from me at Toronto Comic Con, March 15th to 17th. Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Welcome to Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We've spent the last few minutes trying to start the podcast, but we keep talking about things that are way off topic or critical of other people's creative process, which we try not to do here on the show. Well, you try not to do it. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Too. You monsters. <laughs> you monsters have no feelings. We are uh, back on the air. I am fresh from Fan Expo. I am here with Dan and Justin. And that's our show. Hello. Thank you very oh, much. We're supposed, to say, we're supposed to talk now. Hi. 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 How was Fan Expo? Fan Expo was good. How was Vancouver? Vancouver was good. Yeah, I saw some great photos of... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be a bad interviewer. No, the... Uh, <laughs> I'm just... The, uh, I saw some great... You were in Gastown, I saw some... Is that yes. where you were? Because I Gastown, saw... Gastown, which for a while distinctive... I called Steamtown, because I <laughs> hoped it would be called that. That's but... a better name for it, though, given the steam thingy. Is it a steam whistle, or what is the I thing? So. Yeah, it's a steam yeah, clock. Steam, clock, steam yeah. whistle brewery, right? Yeah, there, yeah that's... Uh, it's a great area, though. Very cool kind of architecture, and, and uh, I love I love going to Gastown. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, Vancouver Fan Expo was was a how do i think but it? it's like an inside outside kind of show to me is how i think about it inside the show there was a whole life and outside the show i had a whole life and one kind of turned out better than the other the show itself i think uh was booked a little too soon to the last one which affected and their yeah, attendance explain to the listeners why everybody was a little worried about this particular vancouver show because this vancouver fan expo show was four months ago the last one. The last, last year's yeah. show was They changed the time ago. of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Which made it basically back to back. Yeah, the back same show back. twice. And yeah, made all the vendors. And so why didn't you go? That's the, exactly why you didn't go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, and you made yeah. a good call there. So yeah. last year I did, let's just round it up. I think I did 35 events and I was feeling very, very burnt out. And so my last show of the year was, was not Vancouver. It was C4, but one of the last shows was Vancouver and the fact that I would be doing that exact same show again in three and a half, four months just seemed like I wasn't giving my my audience and my customers a, enough time to kind of recoup and get excited to see me again. And then also, or you to have new work. I wasn't going to have enough new stuff to really put on a, a new show. And something I always pride myself on is every time I come back to a city again, I have such a different portfolio. It's almost like a new right. booth every time. Yeah. And I had eight new pieces, and I had a new graphic novels so i thought let's go let's, let's go do it and since justin wasn't there i could take over a pretty primo spot <laughs> yeah um, so, so I that did, he would grandfather I, yeah i did grandfather in but then gregory just took my spot yeah so for the dear listener who's wondering about what kind of uh um, shell game we played with the fan expo no shell game at all we called the organizers explained what we were going to do um explained that they wouldn't be out at table rental and they were perfectly fine and happy because justin and i are frequent collaborators so and you said we'll take care of it don't worry about it and they said okay yeah okay so if you're thinking like that there is some huge rigmarole for switching your spots or like co-opting your place or holding on to and letting someone else there only is if you don't tell them 
It also, it actually, right, right. if it you can, show up and you're like, oh yeah, I'm a different company that's taking over this spot. Sometimes they feel like one's, they pulled a fast one. Exactly. Some shows do have a big problem with that. Yeah. Um, especially the anime shows are very particular about um, like juried entries and they, they are very careful about who they let in and who no they wanted. No bait switching at some shows. Yeah. yeah. So if suddenly you show up and you're not the artist that they went through that process with, they will just straight up kick you out and yeah. ban yeah, for life. That's and, fair. I think yeah. it's a fair Totally reasonable. Yeah. 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 But for the dear listener who's wondering how to make it work, if you suddenly end up with a work family wedding or whatever engagement, <laughs> that means you can't make a show, right? And your buddies want to take over the spot. You just get in touch with the organizer directly. What they're really, they're a business, right? So they want to make sure that there's value added for the people who are showing up demonstrate that the person that's filling in is going to do that mm-hmm. and that you want to extend your relationship that you like working with the show and you want to keep the spot that you've got that's you know those about, are the talking um, points. we had a friend who couldn't make it couldn't make it she was <laughs> sorry it's okay uh she was in uh she's still traveling in europe so she sent a proxy to the show and right. do most organizers care about proxies do you think in Artist Alley. Okay, so I do know, um, I mean, uh, I don't know him super well personally, but Kevin, the guy who organizes all the artist guests, is a really conscientious, really careful, really hardworking guy who tries to get it right. Um, and he, I know, has a strong opinion that in Artist Alley, there should be no proxies. And I kind of agree with them. But what about weddings? What about... Right. Except in these extenuating circumstances. And I think what happens is if you create that loophole, everyone will just tell you whatever. There's no way to prove it. So I think uh, shows are in a tough spot when it comes to that. You know, you know someone who sends proxies to... Lots. How many shows? Well, that's the two different camps, right? There's people who do it maybe once a year because friend's wedding mm-hmm. or some other family event and then there's the other people that's part of their business they are proxying like almost every weekend that they're at a show they have a proxy at another show yeah they were like oh my goodness people really like this art if i could get it in more cities i might have a living right business right? business I, I think coming from the show organizer's perspective yeah. i What's think that um like really i mean obviously fan quest is a smaller show we have run into a little bit of like people wanting to cancel last minute which is fine and i'm always willing to work with them but my feeling is if this is what you're doing for a living, I know, and if it's a, you guys are doing this full time, so you're kind of like weekends are, you, you can't do anything on weekends for the foreseeable future. For our lives. Well, <laughs> well for, no, for the season though, right? right so, for the so, season. so from, you know, March through till October, most weekends are going to be filled with these shows. So you have to kind of take that as it were and, and you know, oh, well, sorry, can't come to your wedding kind of thing right it, is that well, not something that happens depends. right depends on if who it is whose wedding it is. it is yeah yeah you have to make can you schedule your wedding on a wednesday that's what i ask <laughs> i say you know like one of the reasons we record the podcast tuesdays and wednesdays uh is that we're here in the city right so please schedule everything else important in my life on those two days but uh to be fair like we schedule our dates way ahead of time at least a year ahead of time most shows oh, do yeah. that yeah. this one in particular was different because they scheduled it four months after the last one but you have plenty of time to know whether or not you have a wedding on the sure, weekend. Sure, the wedding. I think what happens with a lot of creatives, though, who are getting into it or are worried, they wait to the last minute to ask about their table because they are a little gun-shy about not having a body of work ready 
Oh. Right? So they're working. They're not I sure had... if it's good enough. They're building up that body yeah. of work. So right? what would you say to someone like that who's worried about that? Get <sighs> the table. That is the finish line. Yeah. Nothing will motivate you more than knowing you have a public event coming up. Yeah. And Pays you need... your money and then takes your chances. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Because I did. I do remember a couple people at FanQuest last year saying... I don't know if I have a good enough well, stuff she, or no, enough One stuff. person's like, I totally was going to cancel and I forgot about it, so I'm here. I'm like, good. I'm glad you're here. And they had a good time and they sold work and they were, they were, they had a great, good weekend. So it's a good thing they ended up coming there, but they were absolutely like, they were feeling that they were gun shy. They didn't know if they had enough work. Prepare ship for light speed. No, no, no. Light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow. Yes. We're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed. (gasps) Well, I learned something about a good friend of mine yesterday, a filmmaker about his creative process. I had knew nothing about you were here for this, uh, for this admission. Justin, uh, the fellow in question was talking about how excited he is on script day, how excited he is on approvals day, how excited he is to shoot, how he's all in, and that the moments of self-doubt come when the edits are coming in. Oh, interesting. Where where really the body of work is finished, and now you just have to put it together. That's when, oh, I should have done this, oh, I could have done that, or why didn't I do that? That's when that seeps into the process, right? And it got me thinking about how much I've taken for granted... Um, you know, working in a studio with people here who mostly get fired up at the finish line, right? Like if I'm disengaged from a project, knowing that it's almost over puts the fire under me again and it helps me finish. But some people I think are very different. And as they get closer to people having to see it, that's when the insecurity sets in. Yeah, that's like, when the self-doubt sets in. If it were in. me, I would be worried like on premiere night for a film. You know, if you're at the movie theater and you're showing it to an audience for the first time, See, that, but, that would be my point of doubt. And again, with this uh, with this friend of mine, I've, I've seen him on premiere night before and I've seen him uh, right in the trenches. And so my understanding of his creative process was he's all in all the time. Right. Where I had never spent time with him is alone in the edit bay. Hmm. Right? So I had never seen that. So the fact that he was willing to share. I don't know if he meant it to be for the public, so we'll leave his name out of it. <laughs> but now, who knows? But I think that's uh, actually it'd be a good question for you: is where is the point where self doubt sinks in? Oh, it's right now um, with Dragon Nanny. Yeah, because I'm like 15% in, 20% in, and there's a lot of work to do, and I don't exactly know what that end result looks like. So it's, but this exact same thing happened with like every other big every project. Other project yeah, yeah, so I'm not like. I'm aware that it's there, but I'm also aware that it's going to go away and everything's going to be okay. So I'm, I'm able to handle it. So part of that's just self-talk though, right? Yes. Yeah. Just, so what is that self-talk and what do you do? You know, for the dear listener who's like, you got to push through it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's great. It's easy to say all that. Well, no, but so how do you, you push through that self-doubt? How do you do that? Like you organize a show. You must've had some doubts. (laughs) Here. Have we talked about the fire film uh, documentary? Not on, uh, not on no. the podcast. No. So that that's a great. If you're ever organizing an event, it's a great documentary to watch because it's never going to get as bad as that. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. That's a prime example for those who don't know. It was a, it was a music festival that was supposed to it failed utterly. Like they actually brought people out to this event in the middle of nowhere in a, on an island, and there was nothing for them because it didn't get no infrastructure. There was nothing, nothing there. And that's the point at which they went too far. Like you have to push through. It's the same thing. You have a you have a deadline. You have an event happening. 
you have that's your motivator you have to get it done and so you just have to dig in and do it and I'm, I'm kind of getting to that point right now we're almost three months out from fan quest so i'm really starting to dig in and get some stuff done but i was to be a fair dragging my heels a bit because i was i was worried about stuff and yeah. whatever but it's you have to you just have to push through it you said it's going to be fine you have to have that faith it's going to be okay I find that one thing that helps accidentally, so like this is not something I designed, but something I discovered about it, what helps my creative process to get over those doubts, is that because I work on a few things at the same time, when I feel the oh no, like oh I'm losing it, I'm like oh shit, I'm losing my book part yeah. of, that, of that creative flow, when I feel that happening, I'll switch okay. to the one that's going well. And allow that. <laughs> yeah, to, I can't do that with an event. To feel right, don't, <laughs> you don't have that capacity. I, I, I mean, I can't switch from you know what I'm doing on my computer. If I'm working on FanQuest stuff, I can switch to working on curriculum or working on something else. Right, you can work so on I, somewhere I have else. Where something else. I have a, yeah. a good number of podcasts I do, so I can always switch to something like that. But, um, but yeah, it's tough to it's tough for me to come back to it sometimes. That yeah. that's where I can kind of lose it. So if I get off of it and I go on to something else, then I'll, I won't come back to it for maybe a week. And then that's a week lost. Right. You know, well, so. And um, uh, John, Dr. Jonathan Ball over at Writing the Wrong Way, yep. he, in one of his recent episodes was talking about how he's the complete opposite of, of me in the respect that when he starts a project, he then finishes it before he allows himself to start another one. Wow. And since he started doing that, rather than restarting things, uh, his productivity has gone way up. The number of books he's published bet, has yeah. gone up. You know, so there's something to be said for both sides, and I don't think there is a particularly right way to do it. I think there's just whatever gets it done for you, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that's your indicator. I think for most people, anyone listening, that's your indicator of success. Did you get it finished? <laughs> right? Because if whatever <laughs> you're doing means you're not finishing or and able to move on to the next thing, perhaps you should reevaluate your process. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I, I'm 100%. Right. And, you know, depression is real. Anxiety is real. All those things are real. Yeah. Um, but in most things that you're stressed about, well, a large majority of the things you're stressed about a year from now, it won't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, Justin, me- <laughs> Justin will often say when we're right in the middle of something horrible, Future me will worry about that. It's his problem. That's what his happens problem. when you get to future me, though? He hates past me. <laughs> Who are you? Barf! Not in here, mister. This is a Mercedes. Nah, that's my name. Barf! Barf? What are you? I'm a mog. Half man, half dog. I'm my own best friend. You mentioned on Twitter that you have a lovely um, airline story. So we talked last episode about your bank of, well, how did you phrase oh. it again? Your bank of like <laughs> I did, travel I? stress oh or something goodness. like that? I think I jinxed it for myself. Oh, maybe. So if you're just tuning in, dear listener, I had mentioned that there's a certain kind of, um, yeah, you put a certain amount of travel patience in the bank. Right. At the beginning of a show, and you try not to use it up early. You try at to the plan of the extra. season. You said, yeah, because at the beginning, you do so much traveling. Yeah, you, at the beginning of the season, you overplan so that everything can go great. Uh, didn't quite work out that way. Um, <laughs> so, but I reflect on the following thing before I tell this story: that most of the events that really annoyed me happened around the day 
that was John Candy's, the anniversary of John Candy's death. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite films of his was Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Love it. And that's so what I, that movie's about. So I could not help but feel some kinship through the journey. That's um, awesome. And you know how we started this podcast by saying let's not throw shade on anybody's creative endeavors? Mm-hmm. Flair air. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not a creative I'm endeavor. I'm coming for you. Somebody created it. Well, I know, but they're, not looking, they're not looking at me. They're making art. They're trying to transport people. You, you know what? That place. could be an art. If they <laughs> believed strongly in perfecting it and creating a strong emotional connection with people through their actions that can be art well and it would work for them right and they did yeah. create a strong emotional reaction <laughs> in me <laughs> you um, are by the way okay tell the story and then i'll react to it go ahead really quickly because it's a long story but really quickly uh my booked flight wasn't there when i got there then when i got my new flight arranged and got onto it the notice was, oh, your connecting flight has a slight delay. That slight delay was eight hours. So they put me on a different flight to a place two hours away from the place that I was trying to get to. So I would have to arrange my own transport to Vancouver from Abbotsford. They weren't 100% sure that my bags would get there at all, but they did. Phew. But when I got there, they didn't know where my bags were, and they didn't seem to care. So then I finally tracked down my stuff. Everything's great. I have a flight home booked. I'll worry about that. Future me will worry about yeah, that's that. That's right. But then I think, I want to get home to my family a little bit earlier. Maybe there's a super early flight I can get on. And because of all of the nonsense that's happened, maybe they'll waive the fee of transferring that flight. I'll call them. An hour and a half later, because that's how long I was on hold, I finally got, got to a person. They said, oh, well, your flight home was canceled because you never got on the flight to your destination. I said, yes, I did. They said, no, you didn't. I said, well, here I am. They said, <laughs> they said, well, we've canceled it and we've charged you a fee for your no-show. I explained everything in the previous uh, story to them. And then they waved that and said, okay, everything's fine. You're back on the flight. You're booked. Not believing a word of it, I showed up three hours early for my flight to make sure uh, to find that no flight was in fact booked, that all of my baggage that you pay for extra online, or you pay less online if you book it, none of those things had been arranged. So they were demanding extra money uh, for me to book a new flight, and it was awful. Two hours later, I spent two hours at the counter. Oh, my God. They finally figured it out. I made my flight by about 10 minutes. I arrived home. Wow. And your bags did, too? My bags did, too, much to my surprise. Cool. That, and that's what I was going to say at the beginning was that's probably the third or fourth uh, horrible flare story I've heard in in a number of weeks. Yeah. Now, like they've had a recently a bad stretch of like people. Super important to point out. Uh, flare, the system, terrible. Flare, the people I was dealing with, super patient with very irate customers. And there were a lot of us. They were really like pleasant. They tried their best. They were really working within a super flawed system and they were just holding on by their fingernails. So it's like they're, they're, the people are great, but the infrastructure yeah. is just a Yeah, and I said this, I tweeted this actually, mm-hmm. right, that um, whoever's in HR hiring these people who are like super calm in the face of such adversity at their job place, that person deserves a raise because, you know, Flair employees, 
my heart goes out to you. And for those who don't know, uh, Flair is a, a fairly new airline in Canada. It's one of the discount airlines. We don't have a lot of them here. They don't tend to work out very well. I think of Jets Go and I think of uh, yeah. other other like ill-fated, you know, the budget airline thing doesn't work as well in Canada because we don't have enough people right. to fill those planes, right? So they, they really cut corners But I thought since they take money. 20 or 30 flights a year, this might be a great thing well, to explore. So I took one for the team. But what, thank you for exploring this on my this behalf. Is, yes, for sure. This is saving people a ton of headache. But um, for the most part, like I've flown Allegiant, which is a budget airline in the States, flies from like Grand Forks or Fargo to Las Vegas. I've taken right. that flight. I've taken it to Florida as well. And the way they cut corners is they they you have to pay for all the pay for your seat selection. You pay for your luggage, all this other stuff. So they add it on that way. But if you're just booking, if you were just flying somewhere, were you just, did you have stuff in your bags or did you just have a carry on? No, I had uh, check bags and I had oh, so carry on. You had your yeah. work and stuff. Yeah, in there, I had so. all my work. Okay. So, but if you are flying with just a check bag, like a carry on kind of smaller suitcase, it's super cheap. And if you don't care where you sit, it's, it's fine. Right. Like everything else was fine about that flight. Well, and this was the thing I thought, you thought that's what they were cutting. Yeah. And they cut other stuff. Yeah. They cut like uh, infrastructure and, and software. Yeah. I don't know what else they yeah. use for that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but it's in the past now. Of course Although it is. Although I did compose a poem. Oh, let's see uh, it. Which, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll just leave it in. If you would like, you can check my uh, recent Twitter posts for a poem that I composed about Flair Airlines. There you go. Yeah. It was, it helped keep me lighthearted. It kept me lighthearted. And that's a good point about trains, planes, and automobiles, because that is absolutely what that, that film is about. Oh, yeah. For sure. Totally. Totally. Cool. Um, but the show was like, an, like I was saying, it's like an inside-outside show. So like what was going on inside the Fan Expo, which was like everyone doing their best to try and like, you know, make the best out of a uh, moderately attended show. Uh, outside is Vancouver itself, and I love visiting Beautiful Vancouver. Yeah. I um, had a moment where I had made arrangements to see an old friend that I hadn't seen in 20 or 22 years, something like that. And, you know, you make arrangements and you're like, you know, when we're talking about like, you know, when might you have that moment of doubt? My moment of doubt was like, this is a person I used to spend like almost every waking minute of through all of high school. And maybe there's a reason we haven't spoken in 22 years. Well, they've moved <laughs> to a different city. Yes, but you wonder, right? You wonder. <laughs> and uh, instead, the opposite was true. We ended up spending like, you know, six, seven hours hanging out. At, oh, shout out to De Beppe uh, restaurant in, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, but it's at 8 West Cordova Street in uh, Vancouver best restaurant in that city for sure really yeah they uh they were consummate hosts and i went back there every day that i was in vancouver for different reasons i had a publisher meeting that i went there i had a meeting with an old friend i uh, caught up with uh uh, my friend sylvia who's an author and wait i just use that as the place and it just gets better every time i visit so i wanted to ask um first kind of big 2019 show you've been to any artist alley trends or any particular prints that you kept seeing over and over again or any any notes that you made uh definitely trending right now are enamel pins enamel pins enamel pins of every variety Mm. uh and lots of first time at a show people with pins like that they've worked really hard and their thing that they have really worked hard to make and create are these really 
you know, it's like it's fan art, but as a pin as opposed to a print. Interesting. Yeah. Because you had those made for super pulp science. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Did and you so did you see the trend coming? Or is I, it just I definitely didn't predict the trend. Remember, <laughs> I grew up in the eighties, so right. I more like remembered how it used to be. <laughs> I do. And I wanted some that of well, that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember coming back from Vancouver. Speaking of Vancouver, I came back from Expo '86. I was ten years old. <gasps> I was also there. Oh wow, we might have seen each other. We it was probably a, did. Probably not. It was a huge event. It was all Wasn't year your long. wife there too? Yeah, my yeah. wife was also my, at Expo yeah, yeah. Were you at Expo 86, Justin? I was born in 86. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I collected so many pins at all the different pavilions. I came back and I had a giant, like on my, yeah. my left breast was a giant uh, thing of pins. And I set off the um, metal detector going through it. I don't know why I thought that would get through. Yeah. So that was a big deal. But yeah, we, we that was a big deal back in the day. And now they're coming back. Now yeah. they're making a comeback. So Everything cool. is new again. So that's definitely a trend. Uh, the other thing that I noticed uh, more of was uh, carefully curated displays, definitely. It might have just been a Vancouver thing, but it seemed like people who it was their first time at shows, being more careful about showing up and looking prepared and ready like like they are somebody's. Right? Okay. And a few people were like, wow, I haven't seen you before. This stuff's great. And they're like, oh, I've never done a show before. Oh, I'm so nervous. Right? Really? So, well, that's good to see. Yeah. That's so, excellent. I think a trend of professionalism maybe is seeping into the, some uh, The bar of um, displays at shows has maybe just been raised, and so people are just stepping their game up? Yeah, it's like natural selection, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you go to a show and everyone else, <laughs> you know, we're like birds mating, right? Everyone has <laughs> their plumage out. And if you, <laughs> you, if you have no plumage, then, you know, you don't mate and you don't That's carry funny. on. The line does not continue, I suppose. You're doing your little strutting your stuff in, yeah. front of the, in front of your potential mates. Yeah, totally true. <laughs> you idiots! These are not them! You've captured their stunt doubles! The other thing that I did this year differently, uh, and that I'm trying to do for this show year, is curate my own print catalog, tighten up, bring less, have less overage, and have less stock that I'm bringing back just mm -hmm. by being more uh, careful. Now, this is something that I can only do because we've done a couple of years fast and loose trying everything. So, like, just... To put the right context on it, I don't think it's, in my opinion, super good to believe that you've curated down to the 10 best prints or the five best things that you've got when you're just starting out because you don't actually know what the crowd will respond to. And you're starting out everything. Just yeah, bring, bring everything, everything bring do everything, everything, try everything. Let the everything. crowd sort it out. Again, it's natural selection, right? And then uh, when you arrive, and then it's, um, then it's responding to what the crowd sees wants that you also want to make more of okay right so but you you saying you said that like when you're starting out you want to do local shows so you're, you're doing this you're putting everything out on a table at a local show yeah by the time you get to the point where you are traveling to other cities will you have known this based on your like do audiences in here in winnipeg reflect what audiences in vancouver like the or broad strokes are the same the broad strokes okay. are the same yeah. i would suggest at least for me i don't know this is a good question to ask justin i would say 30 percent of my print catalog carries the rest of it but i don't know which 30 percent will be the one that sells at any different city like that 30 percent is a sliding scale oh, okay at different cities so, so you have like, to bring all of it yeah. pretty much so what can be good is you start to hone down a couple of what justin and i call heavy hitters like you know you know, with your books, you know what's selling, you know what people like, and you know how to sell them. So that's different, right? Mm -hmm. Bring what's selling. Bring bring your favorite book, 
when you're bringing comics or graphic novels or books that you've written, my sort of system is this. You bring your most current, right? Your most well-known and um, uh, your most current, your most well-known and the one that is your favorite. Because those three levels, you'll be passionate about the ones that's your favorite, so it's easy to sell. The one that's most well-known will be selling itself. And the most current one is the one no one's heard of, but right. if well, they're a long-time fan, they won't. They'll want it, yeah. Right? Okay. With prints, you have your heavy hitters, you know, bring, bring more copies of that. And your it, new stuff you usually have front and center because you're proud of it. It's your new thing. You're yeah. excited to show it off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the worst case scenario is if one, I mean, I've only done this a couple of times, but I've... I've seen it. Uh, I've seen it work uh, with other people who were brought too much of everything. You just remember that price also will help you. So, but don't lower the price. Don't discount anything. People always get used to discounts, but they won't get used to free. So, if you have, you know, buy one get one free because you're worried you have all this stock to bring home, right? That's going to move a lot more stock. Yeah. Right. People will take chances on things because there's this perception of free and the margin should be wide enough if you're doing your printing properly that you, you can, can withstand that. that. Yeah. yeah, you can withstand that. Especially if, if it's the difference of moving 100 prints or moving no prints because the crowd just isn't catching on to your price point, right? Like, Yeah, and, and there's certainly benefit to having more of your stuff, especially in other cities, having more of your work out in the in the market. Absolutely, yeah. Because people will see that at their friends' houses and they're, oh, who, where'd you get that? And yeah. so that grows awareness of your brand as well. So right. that's always a good thing. Yeah. So and, it's okay. And I've found with my own stuff, um, because I have, I have a few pieces of art that are recognizable, like stuff from The Thing, stuff from Pran's Labyrinth that we did as licensed pieces, right? Um, uh, some stuff from like the Aliens franchise that I did as a pitch, like those things people see and they're like, "Ooh, I've heard of those." What yeah, is they, this? They know the larger franchise. They know yeah. the larger yeah. franchise. But then I also um, most of my catalog is my own creator own stuff. And so, if, in order for people to take a chance on things, I've found that the best way to do it is that if you buy two of my prints, you get one free. If you buy three of my prints, you can get two of them free. Whoa. And then people will take a chance on the stuff they've never heard of. Like some people are character hunters, and they they will. They're worried about their quote-unquote nerd cred, which, by the way, is stupid to be worried about. Just like what you like, and that's fine. But they wonder if they've never heard of it, should they risk buying it because of the ridicule of their peers, which oh, is also on. a thing in Nerdland. It's a thing. That's silly. It's ridiculous, but it's a thing. So getting it for free, quote-unquote. Like, hey, I got it for free, whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Gives them so that. So you can get the two, you know, the alien piece and the thing piece, and then the And then the a minus institute is, piece because yes. you thought it was cool, right. but you didn't know right. what it was. Okay. Right? Yeah. That's so. good. That's a good strategy. I like yeah. that. That's Whereas uh, Justin doesn't have to do that. He's got, he's been doing the shows a lot longer. Um, his stuff is a lot more recognizable. He has the, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, he has internet fame on his side. Yep. People will walk by and they'll go, oh, you're the guy that did this piece. Oh, you're the guy that did this piece. Oh, you did this one. Oh, I've seen this one everywhere. And those are the, you know, yeah. like that's that's helping him. So it's brand recognition, really. I still have that same problem, though, with a lot of the original pieces, um, especially when it's like a group of like younger guys. They're all scared to try to like... They all want to tell the rest of them what Whatever this piece the, is. Like, oh, that's from this show or that's from that movie. So it's like, it's usually they're flipping through the base. Oh, that's Venom or Carnage, Spider-Man. And then they flip and then it's just silence. And it's like an uncomfortable sense. They're all waiting for somebody to recognize Oh, because those are your character. original pieces. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's I, Tonk. Come on. <laughs> so yeah. I usually have to jump in. It's like, that's original. It's not from anything. Yeah. Ah. 
<laughs> and it's so funny, right? Because it's not from anything. It Some, is from you. Yeah, it's, you it's, made it's it. From me. Yeah. It's from me. I made that original um, artwork. And you're only, you know, that's just it. And and so if you're going to a show, so you know, like this fan expo show, um, the moment I realized on the Friday, three hours in, because you know, in those first three hours of any show, what the demand for that show is, because a line will form outside or it won't. Okay. Right. Yeah. If there's no lineup at one of these big shows that's supposed to have all these big celebrities at it, you know, you know, the There's wind, you, you've put your finger in the wind and you're like, okay, I better start paddling. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, I then switched gears and said, what are the other assets that are available at the show for me in the other arenas of my creative life? Right. Um, I have an, always have a number of projects that I'm ready to pitch that I have five to 15 pages ready to show people mm -hmm. went looking for editors went looking for publishers went around and took a look at the show floor and said okay if i'm going to make something of this show that is different than this other reason which is no longer possible right what are the other possibilities and a number of them presented themselves in uh, in you know very almost synchronistic ways and you just take those opportunities but then you're not stressing right about how oh i have to run this show and i have to try and make these connections well the show is you know now only going to take 60 percent of your energy so use the other 40 percent to send those emails send those texts go mm -hmm. and visit spend some time right ask a volunteer to watch your table right they have them you can ask for them they'll do it mm -hmm. and then you go and make some connections and so as a result my evenings were filled with uh meetings with publishers nice right and there showing work and i you know i have some i may have some news for you next tuesday we'll see hey. right um but it's just about going and re recognizing that if you allow your disappointment for one thing not working to override all the other possibilities because you're just glum and pouting now yeah right? you're here you're not gonna get anywhere right so that's cool. my that's my two cents that's a good way to look at it yeah. for sure I way guess. to make what is it Something out of lemonade. I don't know. No, you make... Lemonade. You, when you have lemons, you make lemonade. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I don't make lemonade right? very often. Because you can't eat the fruit. It's not as delicious. Right. So make, lem make lemonade, lemonade out of lemonade. Yeah. yeah. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. The thing about that is if you have, if life gives you lemons... You make lemonade. And you make lemonade. You clone it, those lemons and make super lemons. But wait. <laughs> if life is giving you lemons, but it has not also given you sugar... Then your lemonade is going to be awful, right? <laughs> it really so will be. Yes. Maybe it's important to bring some of your own sugar. With That's you. right. For sure. Right? That's what I have to say. <laughs> There's that great portal line. If life gives you lemons, you throw those lemons back and you sue life. <laughs> How dare they give you lemons? At last, we meet for the first time for the last time. Now you're on your way to a show. Yeah. Right what's away. up for you? What's next for you? Uh, Emerald City Comic Con Ooh, is next. Fun. Which Seattle. I've like during this conversation, I've started to get excited about. I have, it. yeah, and I have a little <laughs> bit of FOMO right now. I am fear that I will miss out on Seattle, but I have a book to finish, so I two. Oh my goodness. I, I got a lot done while you were away too, so it's fair. You know, and that's annoying because you post it on your social media that you're working really on things. I was really active on my social media as soon as you were out the door. I know. And it was like, it was every hour that I spent in the airport stung a little bit more. <laughs> Look how much work Justin's getting done. Yeah, because he was Oh, doing man. But I planned for, uh, I made plans for a class that I'm teaching here tomorrow. Starting tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. That's tomorrow. I have 12 or 13 uh, fourth-year med students coming to the studio. Oh, to learn about how to contextualize their own experiences 
in storytelling and you know ostensibly comics in order to process you know all of the horrid stresses that come with a life in medicine so cool kind of wild mm -hmm. but you're going to run off to seattle, seattle. and you're That's excited fun. you said getting excited yeah it was um seattle's a really big show um lots of logistics involved and um i've got two tables i've got a corner spot and like a main artery of the show so it's a very very busy one um so it's it's kind of like it was my first big show it is my first big show of the year and i uh yeah it was just kind of like i usually start with a couple smaller ones and work my way up to emerald city and since it's my first one i think i've i felt a little more stressed about it like there's just a little more uh anxiety than i'm used to um but I'm I'm handling it and I'm I think I'm now ready. Awesome. And do you have time to see Seattle while you're there? Yeah, the uh the Seattle show is right downtown in the thick of things and I've been doing it I think this is my fifth year in Seattle, something like that. So I know the area. I've got a a lot of good friends who do that show as well. So the after the outside convention is also a very, very fun one. Um so I'm looking forward to it. We always go for oysters. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta do that. Some pike play stuff. Yeah. Sylvia is going to be there. Oh, right. Um, we have a great story about Sylvia, but maybe we shouldn't tell it on the air. Let's have her back uh, on the podcast. She we can tell it. Yeah, yeah, she will tell it. Yeah, she will tell it. <laughs> okay. That's great. Yeah, she's going to be there. Uh, Sylvia uh, Moreno Garcia, for those of you who don't know, and her new book, uh, Gods of Jade and Shadow, she's going to be promoting there. And so she's pretty excited because the publisher has gotten behind it. They think it's going to. Nice. do some great things and so i mean you're always proud of your own work but a publisher agreeing to publish something and a publisher believing in it are separate conceits mm -hmm. right having something on their catalog that they think is worthy of them is one thing reading it and seeing the traction that it's starting to get and when they send out review copies and all of the peers are like wow this book is amazing that has really you know that's exciting for us so you get to uh you got to track her down. Definitely. Give her a high five. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, she's fun company. And she's fearless in big cities, so it's it's great. And we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but Seattle has, like, of all the conventions that we do, and including San Diego, New York, um, and Toronto, the artwork at, Sandy, at uh, Seattle seems to be above and beyond everything oh else. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. The there Everyone are, is there. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's another level. Yeah, yeah. Then there, right there, we're talking about like where you have your anxieties, right? Where you have your uh, reluctances. Sometimes it's the imposter syndrome, right? Of like these are the re these are the people who are actually I don't, doing yeah, this. I don't business. belong here. I'm not How near. Dare I? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but that you have to get over that. You're not going to make it in this world if you have that. Right? Totally. Yeah. You have to push through. You it. just got to show up. Yeah. And let the crowd decide. Yeah. Right. Take a, a page of the Flat Earthers book and just be super confident. That's called <laughs> gaslighting. I'm pretty sure that's a totally different the, thing. The opposite of yeah, yeah. imposter syndrome. Yeah. You don't know enough. You but. don't know enough. Uh, but the thing I'll say about that is all of those people bring, like, they've brought their A game. Yeah. And as a result, they've also brought their huge fan bases. So the show does exceptionally well. As uh, from an attendance standpoint. So for you, even if no one's ever heard of you, you have all of these people who are going to show up and now they can have heard of you. So, yeah. you know, I uh, was right after World War Z came out, 
I was right next to Max Brooks. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. I Mel Brooks's son. That's right. I was right next to him at a show. Yeah. And everyone else was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you have this spot. It's terrible. Because he had this huge line always blocking. Right. I was like, are you kidding me? I do monster books, and he's selling a monster book. That's I'm going to sell to this line like crazy, and I sure did. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, and because they had to wait... I would just kept handing out browsing copies to the line. Yeah. Right. With and I actually went to the publisher. It was Avatar. He was pub, he was signing at the Avatar booth. I went to the publisher at Avatar and said, "Listen, you got all these bored people here, right? You hand out some of your books. I'm going to hand out some of my books. Let's engage them in some other stuff." And he thought it actually it never occurred to him to do that. And so okay. we handed our books out into the line, and both of us did much better as a result. Very cool. Right. So just, I mean. Probably some of those disappeared. I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> right? But if they loved it enough to steal it. Then they, yeah, then they'll make, actually buy something for yeah, you next time. Next time. For yeah. sure. This is a marketing expense. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. What is uh, on your hit list for Seattle outside of the show? There is a oyster bar called the Brooklyn, um, mm. not far off from Pike Place, that area. Uh, which uh, me and Quirky Licious found like our first outing. This is when you took me to. Yes. Oh, yes. And I'd never really had oysters before, but I don't think I'd ever been anywhere where there was more than one option. Like Winnipeg, we have oysters, but it's usually just there's one option. Yeah. But in the Brooklyn, they had 32 different types of yep. oysters. And so we got this huge platter where there was two of like 18 different kinds and they had like all the the trimmings and horseradish and all that stuff. You should see him gesturing right now I'm at all the things my hands that there were. Yeah. Because it's just this huge elaborate platter and there's ice chips and just all these toppings. And it was kind of my first real introduction to oysters. And by the time I had tried all of them, I was hooked and I've been a fan ever since. There you go. And it was, uh, it was and it's, it's got to be fresh. It's on a, it's on the coast. It's fresh. Like the oysters you get here in Winnipeg are not fresh necessarily. We're pretty landlocked. No. Yeah. And the other thing is every Monday since the first time I went to Seattle as well, we go to this clam chowder place. Mm. And we have to be there very early in the morning. You also took me there. Yeah, because otherwise there's a lineup. You didn't really believe. No, I was, was like, you're nuts. They told me about this chowder place and they're like the lineup will be around the block we have to get there like in a, an hour before it opens you don't understand we gotta hurry grab your coat let's go come on come on come on and you're like it's soup yeah like there's no way that people are this excited about some soup my goodness we got there we were like eighth in line and then 10 minutes later there were 200 people in the line like wow it was and was it worth it it was really good yeah, yeah it was really good so how long do you wait in line? An hour for it to open up and then you uh, get it? A good 40 minutes, so I would it say. Is a, it's like the soup Nazi like from Seinfeld, right? right. But the up. line does move very quickly. Okay, like, yeah. I mean, how, it's soup. You yeah. like scoop it into a bowl and you're done. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. But they hard. do have eight different kinds and sandwiches as well. It's you better know man. what you want to order by the time you get to the front you of that do, line. You do, yeah. They're, uh, they don't have much patience. For so, them. you know, this actually, this ties back around to what we were talking about earlier, right? So we've got all these anxieties. You have all these things that can go wrong in a show. You have all this stuff. And you were... I was saying sometimes I switch to, something else, to yeah. something else that I'm enjoying that's good. Those things can be the little things, right? Like no matter what happens in Seattle, I think that there's going to be a great bowl of chowder waiting for you, <laughs> right? And if you're willing to like tumble into those good moments, it really will help reduce your stress in for other sure. things. And don't fly flare. Don't fly flare. <laughs> I was over it. I I had released it. Thank right. you for coming back. No problem. Thank you for coming Anytime. back. I tend to concentrate on 
if from having like a bit of a down show, what what am I gonna try differently for the next time? I'll yeah. have a big long list and all these thumbnails of new pieces and new things to try and just new ways of doing things to try out for the next thing. And I find I get fired up about what's coming next. It's funny you say because a... I made sketches yeah. of. I reorganized my table. Weren't you saying like you, th- uh, like print wise, you were kind of running the tank was running dry, and then was it at Vancouver that? You got excited? What What was the... Uh, at Winterfest. Yeah, okay. So there's a couple of things to talk about. So number right. one, um, I'm at a show, a down show. I always make notes about what's going, whatever. And, I, and I've realized now that I have different table configurations once I realize what show it is, and I will change it. So midway through uh, the Friday at this Fan Expo, I changed how my table was laid out to reflect the fact that people would be able to see stuff from farther away because there isn't a big crowd. Mm-hmm. right i changed there's stuff low on the table that normally you have to lift everything and like stack everything up and there's there's a different way a different economy of how you can use your space to catch people's eyes right the plumage if mm-hmm. you will mm-hmm. to arrange the plumage when it's busy it has to be kind of above the six foot line because there's bodies everywhere right but when it's open it's more inviting to those people who are a little bit you know they're wandering around that empty space they need to be lured in a little bit um, but the other thing you're talking about is, yeah, my tank was dry on compositions. I was, I'd been doing so many comic pages and working on so much storytelling. Then when it came to the big single image that tells the story, I felt like empty. Like I didn't have, I had a bunch of new pieces I wanted to do, but I could not crack the composition of them. We went to uh, the Winterfest show and walking around and seeing it, like it just, the light turned on again. I was like, oh. Oh yeah, right. I remember. I like this. I like doing this. This is fun again. So, but yeah. I was a little worried that maybe it was gone forever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not good. The it's muse just good. goes on vacation. Right. That's right. She'll yeah. be back. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. So this has been Super Pulp Science, where we have talked about many ways in which you can get the genre that you make out to people. I think you should join the fight and make comments. And I won't be here next week. <laughs> <laughs>